Today's sponsor of Happy, Sad, Confused is Loot Crate. For less than $20 a month, Loot Crate gives the geek in you a special treat every month. Loot Crate is a subscription box service with over $40 worth of geek, gamer, and pop culture gear, collectibles, apparel, comics, and more delivered to your mailbox every single month. This month, we're all cowering in fear at the return of the villains. So join Loot Crate as they celebrate everybody's darker side with epic items from Marvel and exclusive DC figure, a unique wearable item that they've never put in a crate before. By the way, this crate is a huge one and much more. It's good to be bad guys, right? You have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. But when the cutoff happens, guys, just know that's it. It's over. You missed out. So go to lootcrate.com slash happy. Enter code happy to save $3 on your new subscription today. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I'm Josh Horowitz. If I sound like I have more gravitas this week, it's only because I have a cold and I'm trying to get sympathy from you. Hi, Joel, do I have your sympathy? No. Making his third appearance on the podcast, give it up for Joel. Hey. Oh God. Um, Welcome to the show, guys. For those that have been uh, listening to Happy, Sad, Confused for the last year plus, you're awesome. For the year? Over a year. Did you over do a big anniversary show? Our first, no, we didn't do an anniversary show. I actually don't know when the official anniversary is. Definitely over a year. Kate Mara was the first guest. And um, I don't know if we've come a long way as I say that because I'm still just sitting in an office with crude microphones in front of me and you're here. So, Well, I mean, that's, that's all about perspective. From I, Kate Mara to you, Joel. We're, we're very similar. We're you very We're tiny. Yeah. We have lovely hair. Yeah. Uh, that's you about both it. Were that's pushed we're, into a train. Oh. Yeah. by kevin spacey <laughs> yeah mine actually happened in real life it's a funny story we don't have long time for story. it long story next time, time next yeah. time on the podcast um joel is joining me in the podcast this week uh as we are about to introduce my conversation that was just transpired with mr guy ritchie which was awesome guy ritchie uh i kind of hoped he would be i've interviewed him a couple times um he's one of those filmmakers that well he certainly i don't he doesn't have a reputation but he's got a style Certainly, I think I think for good or for bad, and I think it's for good. You know, a Guy Ritchie film when you see one that 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 flair for that energy um, that that he's brought to Sherlock and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels and his new film Man from Uncle uh, is very identifiable. And of course, it didn't hurt that he was married to Madonna for a few years. No, I don't see. I mean, that definitely helped his filmmaking. Is that what you're well, saying? Well, no, meaning no, his celebrity kidding. and that. Yeah, kind of thing. yes. Um, right. Put him on the in the from the mainstream. He was an indie darling, and then he really transitioned. Into, exactly. And this conversation was cool because um, we talk a little bit. He's super, super frank and super um, open about his trajectory in terms of uh, Lockstock was obviously the film that made him um, uh, a big time filmmaker to be reckoned with, and then um, uh, Snatch, which you know went to the next level. You get Brad Pitt in your movie, suddenly you're you know being noticed by a lot of people. And then we even talk about Swept Away, which was kind of his reckoning, speaking of Madonna, um, which probably still wounds him to this day a little bit, but actually not. You'll hear in the conversation, he's got a good attitude about the ups and downs he's had. And um, and I think he's experiencing a, a good, an up right now with Man From U.N.C.L.E., which, you know, I don't know. I mean, as we tape this, this is before uh, the movie is open, so I don't know how well it's going to do. I hope it does well, because it's legitimately... Um, 
I mean, the marketing's been good, but I think it's actually even a better film than than the marketing would indicate. Uh, it's based on uh, 60s TV series, which I feel like is almost weirdly the biggest crutch it has to overcome because... Do you know? Did you have you ever heard of Man from Uncle, Joel? No, I don't have a, any recollection of Man from Uncle, and also I feel like anything you've heard about in the recent pop culture history of things being based on a '60s TV series, yeah. haven't really done that well. No, it's strange. I mean, I don't know what the solution is. I mean, it's a it's a good place to start with the film because basically the the conceit of the film is you know there are spies from different countries, right? Like Napoleon Solo, great name. That's that's Henry Cavill, uh, American kind of secret agent, and then um, uh, Army Hammers is like a Russian spy and they have to you know through the cold war come together and fight for a unified cause but um the, the the title is kind of meaningless i feel like to audiences today but get past that and you'll see a really slick stylish and fun spy thriller um much different than mission impossible like in the same month we have two really good spy movies that are much different from each other and i have to say really good performances from and i don't know why i'm necessarily surprised but man of steel i think was like you know we saw henry in a certain context he was like that stoic you know superman there's only so much dynamism that superman has but um this character he did a really good job with it's really suave and sophisticated and cool and um it's a good movie star role for him so good for him and good for army to find a, a bounce back after lone ranger as well Right. And uh, I love his Russian accent in the trailers. His Russian accent's good. It's yeah. I mean, I don't. I'm not one to judge, but it's not. It's honestly not like super distracting. Is it better than De Niro in Rocky and Bullwinkle? <laughs> it's very much inspired by that. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and uh, and and the women in it are great. Uh, Alicia Vikander, previous podcast guest, uh, is awesome in this. Has her great year continues. So um, this this was a blast. I mean, this is the, exactly the kind of filmmaker um, I love to have on the show because he's very frank, and we've been geeked out about mad max for a little bit so you know he's a good guy if he, if he loved mad max did he do you like it i take it he loved it okay he loved it Spoiler, although he didn't sorry. although he didn't know i felt like our one dividing line was um he didn't know the movie time after time which is a great little movie from like the early 80s late 70s with malcolm mcdowell it's a uh, jack the ripper yeah exactly yeah. thank you I, 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 thank you joel <laughs> i wish you were here when we were recording the podcast i was you just didn't i was just staring <laughs> blankly I, and silently at the back of guy Ritchie's head that's weird because the, the office is so small i don't know how i would have missed you mm, i can be very nimble and slight <laughs> that's disgusting um let's look at uh, some questions via twitter uh, from Christina, aka, do you, so when you read a Twitter handle, do you read the name that pops up or the at? Do you know what I mean? Do you, when you, oh, like at so-and-so? So like, for instance, Christina, whom I'm about to read her question, see, it says Christina. Yes. And then it says at Miss Hook 007, which yeah. by the way is a great handle. Um, which would you, go, which do I go by? Do you're saying at Miss Hook or just say Miss Hook 007? This is what I'm saying, Joel. Well, I'm I feel stressed. like the convention do I, do, is. Or do I call her Christina? I think you've already addressed her every way possible. But I guess for the next one, what do I do? I think Christina at Miss Hook 007. That's a mouthful. That's a, that's a lot to put on. Look, me. you want to give her promotion okay. and you want to address her by her human normal name. Okay. Not her internet name. Hi, human Christina at Miss Hick, Hook uh, 007. Uh, your question for me is, hi, do you think Zelina has a true love? Big hug from Paris. Exclamation point. Thank you. Big hug right back from New York City. From me and Joel, collectively. I'm more like a wave from a right. distance. A distant, I, not, a distant, nothing oh. personal. It's just, you know, I don't <laughs> know hug, you. Okay. A big hug from me, a distant, aloof wave from Joel. Thank you. Um, do I think Zelina has a true love? Absolutely. 
I'll confess, when I looked this up a minute before we started the podcast, I didn't know what Zelina was. So Zelina, I guess, is, is a shipping thing going on with Once Upon a Time, um, which for those that don't know, my brother, a little, little promotion for my brother, Adam Horowitz, uh, Adam Horowitz LA on Twitter, uh, creator, co-creator of Once Upon a Time. I get a lot of tweets of people about Once Upon a Time. I think, I don't know if they assume that I am my brother or that I just know everything about the show. Or well, I assume that you just call your brother after the show and yeah, we get, just talk for a couple yeah. hours. Uh, no, I do like the show, um, but I, I can't claim to be a true expert. But sure, I think Zelina, I feel like everybody's got a true love and Zelina's no different. I hope so. I'm always rooting for true love. I also I was uh, I thought maybe it was Alfred Molina and Zoe Saldana was the ship that they were doing. All right. It's not. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's not. That's only my personal fan fiction. You should start that up right now. Is it Alfred Molina in the guise of Dr. Octopus? <laughs> it's, yeah, Dr. Octopus. <laughs> And Natiri fanfic. Yeah, and then he does say brilliant but lazy somewhere in there. <laughs> um, what else to talk about? Oh, some cool stuff just to, uh, viewable on the on the website on MTV.com and on MTV's YouTube page. Uh, did some fun stuff this week with uh, Kristen Stewart and Jesse Eisenberg. Did a second go around with them for um, uh, American Ultra, which is a super fun kind of stoner action movie. Uh, that was good. How many years have you been talking to Kristen Stewart? I mean, virtually since I came here. It's been I I, I often say, and I and I I, I kind of want substantiation. I think I've interviewed Kristen Stewart more than any other human being on the planet. And I'm not saying that to brag, but I want if if you need some distinction on the planet Earth, that might be mine. Congratulations. What's yours, Joel? Uh, I've, I'm the, I guess I'm the, you know, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even. Uh, Joel, master uh, of improv. Here's the thing. Yeah. I, I, I just yes-handed that. That's the first thing. <laughs> Second thing is, <laughs> I just hate myself, so oh, I have nothing don't to. don't bring us down. I do. You know what? I'm don't just kidding. Don't do it. Um, I guess that, that that's all the preamble for this week. Thank you, Joel, as always, for joining us. You really, you killed it again. Thank you. Um, join us next week. Oh, another cool guest. Should I say? Who? I'm not going to say who it is. It's a really good actor. Get. Oscar nominated actor. But I don't want to say it because sometimes these things fall through. Trust me. Really good actor coming up next week on Happy Second Confused. But in the meanwhile, let's talk filmmaking with Guy Ritchie. With a British class. They even got the person a bit. Good job. Enjoy. Um, thank you for coming by today, Mr. Guy Ritchie. Uh, thank you very much for having me. His, his voice just went much cooler. We were just having, <laughs> we were having a very casual... I was up there, but <laughs> we were dishing on really uh, on summer movies, but now we're we're on message. Uh, no, congratulations again. I got a chance to see your film the other day. I really enjoyed it, man. It's it's a it's a good ride. Um, where are you at right now in your in your head? Because there's a lot going on in your life between wrapping a film, getting married, and putting out a film into the world. I I oscillate between thinking too much about this and caring too much about this to not. And I can tell you, I much prefer the latter than the former. <laughs> um, the anxiety I'm pretty cool if I say this about myself about making the movie yeah. and then I don't sleep for a week when it comes to the release of a movie and I'd like to sort of transcend that anxiety but I'm not sure if you ever can you just get your knickers in a twist and don't sleep at night. Were you like that from the beginning? Was there something of a I was little... much worse in the beginning. Oh, really? I, was, yeah, I think yeah, there yeah, might yeah. be ignorance in the beginning of like, oh, I'm, I'm going to ace this. I know what I'm doing. No, you know? no, 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 no. No, there is. I mean, but if you, you know, these movies take it, say, a couple of years to make. If you think you're down to a week's anxiety out of two years, you know, that's not bad. Yeah. 
Um, and then, you know, when you first start, no, there's much more anxiety. So the, it, it diminishes. And then, you, as I say, you oscillate between getting your knickers in a twist and not. Yeah. So it's not like you're always, but you can feel your, your body contract. Yeah. And then it relaxes. It contracts and relaxes. All about the anxiety of of the release. And the, your, your intelligence gets the better of you sometimes. You, go, you know, in a bigger picture, this all means nothing. Sure. And again, you oscillate between big picture and small picture. In some ways, maybe this is the timing is good, and that obviously just got married, and you literally just wrapped this another ginormous movie. Maybe you've had less time to obsess. Yeah, I, I, all that. of that's good, actually. Yeah. Distractions are good, although it's probably not the solution to the problem. It's <laughs> it's certainly some version of a band aid. Right, right. So, have you been? Uh, we were talking before about like there's a spate of of really good actually spy films this year. Did you did you view that, and including one from a, a good friend of yours, Matthew Vaughn, which was excellent, Kingsman, um, but couldn't be more different uh, night and day in terms of uh vibe was that something that you guys talked about were you aware of this is that something that again you overthink oh god we're in the middle of all these other movies that are in the same genre or you're like oh fuck it i got i've got my own thing i'm confident what oh I'm we're, doing. Al- we're allowed to fuck it on air right? <laughs> i see i'm I setting see. i'm setting the vibe for you so you know because i feel like you'll be more comfortable knowing that you can <laughs> right now I've, now i know where we are <laughs> Um, yeah, it's funny when you, you choose these projects, you don't really take into consideration. Um, I mean, there's the, as we were discussing before, the spy genre seems to be like it's a crowded market yeah. at the moment. And but I suspect that all of us, the Vaughn, uh, the Vaughn film, uh, Mission Impossible, yeah. Us. Um, got Bond coming in. Like, and you got Bond, November, yeah. whatever that is. <laughs> Good luck and, with that, guys. Uh, <laughs> And I think we all occupy a very different space. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're different in the sense that we're in the 60s and we've got a couple of spies. There you go. That. <laughs> Just by sheer number you're winning. <laughs> so, um, no, it feels like we uh, we occupy a different space. So that hasn't really gotten away. Vaughn was shooting next door to us, actually, where we were making this. So we nip over there for lunch and a bit of a chit-chat. And, I mean, we, we watched poor old Vaughn go through the uh, – because we went through – prep together they were in next door offices too right and we watched the uh, finances come and go in that movie oh, no oh yeah and then for, to be fair to vaughn he styled it out nicely didn't he he uh he he just you know he rode that very nicely i mean like two weeks before they had no money really yeah so he watched all that anxiety and then you know it turned out to be a massive success for him which is very good so what, what function do you guys serve in each other's life creatively at this point do you do you give notes on each other's work do, no, do you rely on nothing just, at all really <laughs> no because uh the thing about you're either a producer or you're either a director once you have two directors you've really got nothing to talk about yeah. you know producers and directors have quite a lot to talk about directors directors like hello mate yeah look nice <laughs> Mm, nice. <laughs> like where you uh, put the camera there. Congrats. Yeah. yeah. And it, there, 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 it's not a hand and a glove. It's two hands or two gloves. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. In, in reading about you, and I've talked to obviously many filmmakers over the years, I feel like you come at it uh, at filmmaking from a very healthy perspective in that in terms of the actual production of a film, I feel like a lot of people and actors included – they almost feel like they have to be tortured. It has to be painful. It has to be something like a, a, a process, a gauntlet they have to go through. And you come at it from something where it's like, you better say you don't come at it from that perspective. I do, I do not come at it from that perspective. And I'll tell you what, it tickles me watching other people that force themselves into that cauldron. Why would you? I mean, As if that helps the process in the end. Well, I mean, I mean you can just hit your head against a wall if it if you want to, or you don't have to. 
and we chose the latter. <laughs> and uh, it does. It's surprising. We have worked with people actually. We've worked with actors that just didn't feel as though they could um, give a performance yeah. until they'd hit themselves very hard with a hammer five minutes before. But you know, you- some people, uh, some people are just built that way. What do you, so if you've cast an actor already that's in that mindset, how do you? They don't let you know that. They don't let you know. And Until then, they get on set and, and you see their, they're brooding in a corner and they're. Oh, yeah. And uh, no, it's happened to us uh, where where we were a week in and uh, the the actor was putting on a fabulous facade. And, and then a week in, we started to smell a rat. <laughs> And we quickly started making phone calls to see if we could replace this individual um, because we could see that we were, and it was a long haul. And, and it was going it, to affect the rest of the role. set. I would think, and it, yeah. was, it was just going to be a pain in the ass. Yeah. And the, there was, the, there was the, the crossing the Rubicon moment. And just before we crossed it, we, we sniffed around and all these other actors that we'd that were up for the role we suddenly were making emergency calls to them to find out if they were still available <laughs> so hypothetically are you around yeah you had it has to be all hypothetical <laughs> of course um so all those phone calls were made and then you just they're all busy and then so you stuck yeah. through it and then you have no choice and then you open up their trailer in the morning and there they are with a bleeding hammer in their hands and they're wait. unconscious on the trailer floor wait is this metaphorical or is this literal not really <laughs> <laughs> and then they drag themselves onto set oh, no. what's what's left of them and then they and then what they can't after they've done a proper job with themselves on the hammer then they turn the hammer on everyone else and you just have to put up with that for months and it's a sickness it's a proper dysfunctional illness that some people are afflicted by and you would have thought and yet tom hardy is mad max now congratulations i thought i thought it was just i toss one out there see what happens i didn't say it was male by the way oh okay just fishing just fishing always um so there are it's a funny thing i think when you decide um to go into this business there's there's a motive somewhere there's a seed there's a genesis and depending on what that genesis was whether it 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 came with levity or or it came with weight yeah. is dictates about which route you're going to take in this game and it, from the beginning i always thought filmmaking should be fun and a privilege in a way um it's sort of like i still see it something like a sort of school project where where you, someone said to you the the most fun that you ever had school was sort of doing projects right? right and someone said look go and make here's a video camera hmm. and uh here's 25 bucks and you and then you four you're going to be director you're going to be producer and you two are going to be the actors now go make something yeah you know and you go oh right i've got 24 hours you're going to cobble it all together and see what we can get and it still feels like that to me, filmmaking. Um, it's just you get a bit more than 25 bucks and you get a right. couple more actors. And it feels like the sort of the grown-up version of a school project. Yeah. And I think if you can hold on to that, then it's the entire process is pleasurable. I mean, I cannot tell you how pleasurable I find it. Um, the, the only time that I don't fly, find pleasurable is the anxiety like around this know, around this time this now. Moment right now yeah but i tell you what you know what like i say if that's the price it's worth it it's worth it yeah i mean 
You I mean, compared to the other poor guy that's that hammer that that's hammering themselves, yeah. right? And then they hammer them their way through the entire process. And there's something self-destructive about that. They're trying to bring on their own demise yeah. before the demise is brought on themselves. Right. I'm going to be in control of the situation yeah. to a degree, which yeah. is a little fucked up in the head, yeah. but whatever gets there you, you through go the day. With that naughty word again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Look, I've been at MTV for years where I haven't been able to curse. So once I got a podcast, I'm like, right. I'm going to fucking curse as much as I can. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'll get there in a second. I'll build up some courage. <laughs> I think you can handle it. Um, but it's also interesting you've been able to navigate that, and that still comes through that kind of that that joy that's on set to these films that are that are not independent films. These are studio films. These are high budget films, and that, that's it. Seems like you seamlessly made that transition. We're able to to retain that spirit that was in Lockstock through Sherlock films through this one, and that that's that's a tough road for a lot of filmmakers well it's been a journey it's been a journey and it hasn't all been pretty my journey you know uh, i came out the slips quite uh, rapidly and i'd argue really too rapidly because people knew who you were and i was a relatively inexperienced filmmaker and what i'd rather have done is come up slightly slower yeah um and exercised more um more of a creative expression yeah. in all sorts of genres, which ironically I'm sort of doing now. And so I, f I would have felt more experienced. And then what happened was I came out quite fast and then I thought, well, I want to try the stuff. Yeah, you're getting um, opportunity. It's hard to say no. That, hey, I'll give you some more tools here. And there's all sorts of other things that happen too. The strange psychological things that happen to you because all of a sudden you're making money that you never thought you'd ever make. Right. And in a weekend... Like uh, when Lockstock came out, I made more money in that first weekend than I ever thought I'd make in my entire life. And the weekend before, I mean, I was on 200 bucks a, a week yeah. previous to that. And then that plays with your nut. And it plays with your nut because you think, because we're all conditioned to believe that money is going to take care of all of our issues. Don't, don't and, dissuade us of this guy, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then you find you've still got that itch and that yeah. you cannot scratch it. By the way, it does take care of a lot of issues, but sure. it doesn't take care of the fundamental issue. So, and then you have all sorts of issues with that. I mean, it's a whole fucking growing... Pro oh, there we go. Yes, welcome. Um, <laughs> it's a whole it's growing process, yeah. right? So you're growing at the same time you're, you're um, exercising your creative... Uh, well, your job, essentially. Yeah. And, and through that process, you have ups and you have downs and you make things that are accessible and things that are not accessible. Um, and then in the end, you you find what you believe to be. Um, you, f you find where you think the margins of acceptability in terms of an audience right. um, lie. Um, and of course you want to, you want to somehow straddle that line. Sure. You know, you want to keep challenging yourself and making things that are interesting, but simultaneously hold on to an audience and, uh, you know, it's a business after all. And, you know, you want to make sure that, that if someone lends you 10 bucks, you give them 12 bucks back or yeah. whatever it is. I mean, you know, you mentioned sort of like, you know, you kind of accelerated that career, accelerated maybe more quickly than you could have ever anticipated and maybe in retrospect even wanted. When you look back, I mean, it doesn't seem like looking at the filmography, you know, you can you can assign things based on critical reception or commercial reception that that were maybe a misfire or two. Do you consider any of them? Like, do you look back at them with any any of them with like regret or do you feel pride in all of them? 
Um, it's a good question, and I'm not sure how to give you an answer because I'm not sure how honest I can be. You can be surprised. So, well, I, 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 <laughs> how how honest I I think I am, and how honest I really am are right. two different honests. I got it. <laughs> right. So, I would say, um, and this is as honest as I can be. I don't regret any of it, but I'm also in a position where I don't have to regret any of it. Right. You know. So, um, if, if I rattle through how my films went, uh, so Lockstock did very well, and then Snatch did very well. And then um, I did Swept Away, which was arguably, you know, I I got properly. You got you got you went through the paces. Oh yeah, I got properly. Uh, the thing was, is also I was married to one of the most famous women in the world at the time. I hadn't which, heard about which, that, which really? made it oh. also incredibly public because it, then right. it became such a, a story in itself. Yeah. And then she was in the film, and then I was like, but I like the movie. Yeah. And then neither of us took a fee on the movie. And we thought, well, you know, we're not going to get- What can we lose? We're not gonna make, yeah, we're not going to get judged money. on yeah, this. Exactly. They, everyone knows we're not getting paid. <laughs> and then, of course, it didn't transpire like that. And then you've got to reflect back on the naivety of that. Yeah. Um, it was your time to be whipped in the press. It was like everybody gets their time, and apparently that was your moment. Well, then there was Revolver. Well, <laughs> at least that was a lower key. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it wasn't in the UK. Really? Oh, no, no. I got proper. Properly. Oh, yeah. By the time I'd finished with those two, I, my confidence was truly shaken because they were films I still liked, yeah. right? And they both um, embodied things that I thought were interesting and creative. And all of that was thrown to the wind. And you were just judged on the critics yeah. and and uh, whether you're successful or not. So there were those two, and that, that hurt in the sense that you had to try and get your confidence back and you had to try and get a job back. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it wasn't easy. So, and then- It's that rock and roller then. And then it was rock and roller. And then, and and it was hard to get that money, you know? And again, I'm not sure if I took a fee or anything on that. And then from there, people went, oh, they got their sort of confidence back. And then since then, I've, you know, it's been, been easy since then. But I, and to a degree, well, none of it's easy, but it's to a degree, it's understanding, you know, yeah. as I say, the, the, this unseen line of where people will follow you. Now, some of that's vitriolic and angry and egotistical, and some of it's realistic sure. and acceptable. Um, however, you have to live within both of those worlds, right? So somehow you have to reconcile um, all of our egos. Uh, so it's we have to accept that people will be uh, vitriolic if they if they're allowed to be, if you right. give them an opportunity to be, uh, and you can't be naive about that. And as I say, I'm borrowing money to make a film, and I'm interested in making a profit on borrowing money at the same time making creative product that's worth worth making hey guys would you classify yourself as a geek gamer or pop culture nerd I assume if you're listening to the show, you're probably all three. Well, don't worry. Loot Crate is the subscription box for you, if that's what describes you. Loot Crate is a subscription box service with over $40 worth of geek, gamer, and pop culture gear, collectibles, apparel, comics, and more delivered to your mailbox every month. So make sure to head to LootCrate.com happy and enter the code HAPPY to save $3 on any new subscription. Each month is a different theme. All are inspired by classic movie and video game releases, as well as pulling from pop culture franchises. Previous crates have included items from franchises like Star Wars, Marvel, The Walking Dead, Legend of Zelda, and much, much more. This month, we're all cowering in fear at the return 
of the villains. Whether they're terrifying or tragic, something about bad guys and gals is just plain fun. Probably the snazzy outfits, army of henchmen, and totally relatable treat-yourself-to-some-sweet-loot attitude, right? Thanks for joining us as we celebrate our darker side with epic items from Marvel, an exclusive DC figure, a unique wearable item they've never put in a crate before. By the way, this is a huge crate this month. Just remember, it's good to be bad. Basically, Loot Crate is like a good friend who knows what you love and surprises you with an awesome present every month. And did I mention that they shipped over 13 different countries too? You guys have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. Just know that when the cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. You missed out. So go to LootCrate.com happy and enter the code happy to save $3 on your new subscription today. Maybe there, there is comfort also to be gleaned from, you know, talking to many filmmakers and actors over the year that this is, the, I mean, it doesn't maybe help the wound in the moment, but that a lot of films people come back around to. I don't know if maybe the, the you know, what was assigned to Swept Away was so, so big and so harsh. Maybe it's going to take another five years for people to really, truly watch it without any kind of baggage. But I feel like it happens at a certain point where there is a new appreciation. There is a new way to interpret something without the baggage at the time. Right. And that may be the case. You could you can probably tell now, and I can say this with as much honesty as I can believe uh, that I can muster, is I don't care. You yeah. know, I don't care now because I don't have to care. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and the other thing is I gave up reading the... Uh, the reviews. The reviews years ago. Um, and that's not out of kind of uh spite yeah. or it's just surely practical Absolutely. it's a practical it decision screw with your head yeah, but it, right. you know you go up you go down you go yeah. up you go down and there's a there's a worm and there's a hook in the worm and the, the worm tastes good and then you realize there's a hook in it you know so if you look at all worms <laughs> Wait a second, i was hooks. a genius a second ago what happened i thought we all agreed on that <laughs> so if you look at all of it like hooks then you don't get you don't get drawn into yeah. it and you just you know i enjoy the films i make um, I'm, I'm slightly embarrassed to admit that, but uh, partly because I forget that I made them. Yeah. So, you know, I went to that screening that you went to a yeah. couple of nights ago, and that's the first time I've seen it with an audience. You know, up until now, I've only seen it with five people. Wow. So, uh, and I forgot that I had anything to do with it. And there's all sorts of things in there which I, I hadn't, uh, I thought I'd not seen before. I obviously have seen it before, <laughs> but I think, oh, is it, okay, Did they not, not let you line. in the edit room? Have you been separated from the process? Um, <laughs> It, you just forget, you know. Yeah. You know, every now and well, then. Well, you're also hearing different reactions that don't happen in an edit room when it's two guys or. That's four certainly guys true, but I'm telling you, it's more than that. You know, I caught Snatch on TV the other day, and I couldn't remember anything, anything about it at all. And by the time it finished, I thought, yeah, I thought, that was a great movie. You made that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, so it's a relief yeah. that I like that yeah. aspect of filmmaking. You know, I like the aspect that I don't become, I'm not self-flagellating. It's yeah. not awkward for me to watch these things. You know, I just forget. I just become a popcorn eater, put my feet up and, you know, get stuck in. Well, let's talk a little bit about some movies. I know some, a subject you've been talking a lot about lately, but like, give me a sense of your where you come at spy movies like what was who was your bond growing up what was your bond was probably my bond um in the sense that well there was uh there was the ipcris file there sure. was uh palmer harry palmer i think it was his name mm -hmm. and uh uh help me out with his name michael kane so michael kane yeah. so i adored michael kane in those uh, there was a particular genre um there wasn't just the ipcris file there was another one 
Um, uh, well, there was another Harry Palmer movie. There was an, there were three Harry Palmer movies. Yeah. I seem to remember. Anyway, he was kind of great character, and you you'll be able to tell that actually we're we're influenced more by Palmer than we are by Bond to a degree in the, in the sense that Palmer comes from a sort of a mischievous uh, background, right? Um, rather than just being a civil servant. Yes, you know, uh, it's hard. Your Napoleon Solo has some ulterior motives uh, in it for himself. Well, a he's bit. developed, and also he's developed skills. Um, which are sort of capitalistic skills that he developed as a you know as a squirrel trying to get a nut, yeah. As opposed to he's a guy that went to college and he went and joined His Majesty's secret, <laughs> His Majesty's government, and then the Secret Service. Right. It, for me, for me, that's all a bit of a. I'm not sure how interested in that man I am because he sounds like a civil servant. Bond has made made it manifest wonderfully. Sure. Um, but it's not such a sexy beginning. Yeah. As a guy that came up the hard way, was a squirrel that developed all the, the requisite skills that you need to acquire a nut. Right. And then he has to work for a government because they have something over it. It's either a five-year jail sentence or sure. whatever it is. But they can see his... Uh, his, his, value his him, yeah. yeah, his his skill set is what they require. And I like that guy. I'm more interested in that guy. We're always more interested in in guys with character, which usually involves some kind of nefarious activity, sure. than we are interested in good guys. Good guys are bland. And the first Bonds, you know, they had Sean Connery, and Sean Connery just felt like a naughty boy. Yes. Uh, so they transcended lots of the inherent issues of just being a boring civil servant because he was cocky yeah. and had swagger and was politically incorrect. And somehow all of that, but in the, but just oodles of charm. Yeah. Um, and I was influenced by that. So a cross between Harry Palmer, a bit of early Bond. Um, it really, what what you're interested in is coming up with an alibi for how to illustrate an interesting character. And the spy genre just seems to be just another way of doing that. I'm not really interested in spies. I'm interested in character. Yep. And the genre allows me to to warm my hands off character. Um, and, and in this one, you, I mean, you have, I was talking to you, you know, off mic before, like, it, you've cast this one exceptionally well, and you've put actors in it that I've enjoyed in other things, but I frankly, I've enjoyed them more in this um, than anything else I've seen. Um, Henry, I think this is going to, arguably, this is going to do more for his career in a weird way than Man of Steel, and that it's showing how charming he can be. You know, Superman is a lot of things, he's not necessarily the most fun character to be around and charming man to be around i'm curious because like every cool actor in hollywood was or in the world was like mentioned for these roles at a certain point cruz was was attached to it i know briefly and that, that's interesting to me just because of who he is and and and, the, and how big a star he is and i wonder if that would have changed the dynamic of that relationship i mean did the film change much when it went from someone like tom cruise in, the, in napoleon solo to someone like henry because right now it feels like a two-hander or even a a forehander, if you want to include the the two great leading ladies you have. Yeah, I think I can. Uh, I'm very flexible because you know we write all of this material. I'm very flexible about being able to move. Uh, my, my original idea for Napoleon Solo was that he was going to be Brad Pitt was who I wanted actually. Um, I asked Pitt to do everything, but <laughs> so, so does everyone else. But um, well, you actually have the number, so that helps. And he, I wanted him to play the older role, and I wanted the Russian to play play the younger role. Mm -hmm. So there was going to be an age disparity as well there, and then. Uh, Pitt told me to piss off. So, and then, and Tom didn't. So I, then I had Tom. Uh, and then that, that dynamic was I wanted Tom to be older and, you know, the same thing. And I can, I can make that work. And then, needless to say, 
uh, Mission Impossible interfered <laughs> with uh, the uh, with the process, sure. considering that's come out two weeks ago and we're coming out two weeks later. Um, so, you know, he was occupying too much of the same space, so that fell apart. And then, you know, I got two guys that were, both of them were actually reading for the, the Russian. Oh, right. So, and Henry was reading for the Russian, but Henry with blonde hair looks silly. So <laughs> that, he was out of the equation. But once the Tom thing didn't work, then obviously it just made sense to sort of put him into that slot. But that took me all of 30 seconds to be able to shift from having an older guy yeah. to having two guys of the same age. Yeah. Uh, so I got a lot of flexibility in what it is, that, how I can make something work. What I'm interested in is tone, right? So... I can I can I can make it work in terms of tone if he's an older guy, uh, if he's a black guy, if he's a Chinese guy. None of that interferes yeah. with the process um, or where they come from, as as long as you can stick to the tone. And that was my that, that was my only concern really because I like the tone of the original series and. I like the way it didn't take itself too seriously, right. but it still had stakes, and that's really what I wanted to capture. So. You know, you give me uh, all sorts of actors, and I could have made it work. I would have made some incarnation of that work. You um, previously on the podcast, I had a, I had Jude on a few months ago, and we were talking about Sherlock, of course. That he was talking about these amazing, uh, it sounds like amazing sessions that you guys have, where you kind of get in a room maybe a few times over the the last few years in terms of like figuring out what Sherlock the next Sherlock would be. He was saying that he had an insane idea at one point uh, that to involve time travel in a Sherlock sequel. Where did you come down on Jude's idea about time okay. travel? You'll be, actually, uh, Ivan, who's sitting next to us, has been through uh, a lot of this with me. Um, Jude actually had very good ideas uh, all the way through the process. And, you know, my experience is most actors do. Most actors are creative sure. and they have ideas. And by no means am I the uh, custodian of uh, creative ideas. I'm the guy that just goes, oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's not a good one. I just sort of, I cobble them together. Yeah. So it sort of turns into some kind of film. But the more people that chip in, actually, the sort of happier I am. And Jude always had good ideas, surprisingly good, and came up with some good lines too. Um, the time travel one may not have been his... Uh, his, <laughs> his top five. That uh, wasn't the zenith of... Uh, <laughs> His ideas. <laughs> Look, as someone that what was that what was the film the HG Wells one time after time that worked that had time travel in it that involved a uh, little Arthur Conan Doyle and uh, Jack the Ripper action. It's been done. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck you're talking. Really, about. you don't remember that one? Time after time. Nicole, oh, I'm uh, help me out here, mate. But, uh, okay, the DVD. It's okay. Okay, it's okay. 80s movie. Uh, okay. Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Trust me on this one. Okay. Uh, you have just wrapped, um, I think you have wrapped, right? Knights of the Round Table? Yeah. Which sounds like, I mean, I'm curious about this on many respects, um, you know, given the kinds of, you know, work you've done to see what your take on something like this will be is is fascinating. I mean, you were talking about sort of like, yeah, ironically, it's it's kind of inversely happened in your career where you're now almost like pushing yourself in more unique, strange areas later in your career as opposed to earlier. This feels like kind of a departure in many ways. I mean, would you say it is or does it feel yes, like... Yes, I, I would, but I suspect, um, and there's nothing more that irritates me when people say this, so for, forgive me, uh, you know what I'm like. You know, it, like 
Well, actually, I don't really know what you're like because why would you think right. that I think about what you're like, right? <laughs> You've spent a lot of hours thinking about my yeah. my style, Josh, right? Uh, it, yeah. So, but I, my suspicion is if you've seen a few of my films, you'll have a take on what it is, is that you think I'm probably going to do yes. with Knights of the Round Table. And I imagine you'll be sort of within 10 or 15% right. <laughs> um, accurate in your, uh, in your perception. And I think that's, that's probably what's happened. I mean, I got a lot more money than I've ever had. Um, and that's been unbelievably fun. It's funny as I've been comparing, you know, I just watched the first four reels of uh, King Arthur and you see the scale the, uh, the muscularity of it dwarfs anything that uh, you know i feel sort of rather we feel like we're playing in a very small uh sandpit right uh with anything else and then you come into this world and you really are playing on the beach well even when this was i don't know if it was officially announced but there was talk like this is part of potentially a six film saga and like i mean that's that's ambitious and i know obviously your task is to make one that works that's right on its own. that's it that's it um I mean, does, does magic f- figure into this? Do you have Merlin? Is that oh, something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like- I mean, actually, there was a chap. Um, I'll take as much credit as I can wherever I can. <laughs> um, but there was a chap called Joby Harrit. Joby, Joby Harold, who's uh, an English guy, a screenwriter. Um, and he came up with one simple pitch. Yeah, I've been working on this for quite some time, the King Arthur story. And uh, I'll, I'll say I'll take the credit on the fact that the story is essentially mine, but there were two elements which were fundamental, which changed the whole equation and make the idea of this being a franchise work. And that was you've got some of the most icon- iconic characters in narrative history. So you've got King Arthur, you've got Lancelot, you've got Guinevere, you've got Merlin, sure. you've got who else you got? That you got that stone. The stone's right you there. You got the stone. You've got a sword. You got Excalibur. So, by the way, there's a lot of guff going on here, right? Now, our problem was we were all trying to put all of this information into one right. film. Well, all you do is you just you use one of those elements in one film. So you take King Arthur, yeah, and or and and you and we've ended up using the the sword as well. Sure. But that's two elements, two heavy elements that everyone's heard of. Um, so the the sword, the stone, King Arthur. If you start playing with Guinevere, if you start playing with Lancelot, if you start playing with Merlin, it starts getting very congested, and it's that becomes a problem. Yeah. Because all really all of those characters weren't a film on their own. Right. So that was one sort of masterstroke that this chap came up with, and the other one was um, the size of the fantasy. Um, and that made it competitive and it made sense. So you had a sort of perfect alibi as to be fantastic. So you can have 300 foot elephants in a film where a, a sword is being extracted from a stone and you can deal with one or two yeah. um, very well-known brands or characters without, as I say, becoming too congested. So that was the sort of masterstroke. That was a 30-second pitch. Thin out the narrative, just just deal with one iconic character and put in 300 foot elephants and <laughs> and, and by the way where do i sign up boom <laughs> come on and we all we all put our hands up <laughs> and that was a 30 second pitch amazing uh, i've got a bunch of random things i want to ask you about stuff in your career because i am a fan and i followed your career closely over the years i remember and i loved what jared did with moriarty i will say in sherlock but i do remember there was rumor at one time there was Early on, there was Brad was was rumored. There and, you go again. I know, always. Do you just well, always that name's going to keep coming out? He no, he knows this. He, know, I mean, 
mean, uh, it was very sweet to turn up to my wedding the other day right. just because I th- think because I've just worn him down. Just to perpetuate the- yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And he knows yeah. he's going to get the call in the next one. And he's going to carry on. What about Daniel Day-Lewis? Did you ever try to get him? Did you ever get to meet we with did. Day-Lewis? I didn't meet. I, I met him when he was a cobbler. In, uh, <laughs> he was in that mode? Oh, my God. He was. Yeah, that, this was previous. I was on the piss somewhere yeah. in, uh, where is it? That's years ago now. It, it was. Where was it? It was in Italy. But I'm just trying to think of one of those Italian cities where he was. Well, Florence. I think he was so a cobbler he was, he was in Florence. Gangs of New York. That was that whole thing. And yeah. it was. And I, I think we went on the piss back then um, for a night, which I've done with quite a few actors in the past. And <laughs> so it was initiation. A, yeah, got to go through it. it but by the way, it is a sort of initiation yeah. if that's the language you speak. I mean, I cast all my actors on how much I get on with them. So well, it goes back to the bloody hammer. I mean, they have. It to, does. It know, does. You know. Yeah. And so you know, a night in the pub usually sorts out the boys from the toys. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, that is a sort of an organic process. I very rarely talk about the work itself and just talk about are yeah. we going to get on? Um, because there's the presumption by this point that you know how to act, that you know what you're doing, and almost as important at this point is are we going to get on? Yeah, for that's four it. months. That's it. You, you, you know, do they get your tone? Do you get their yeah. tone? And are you going to get along? And yeah. that's really the the lion's share of my concern there. You're right. We, you know, we're all long enough in the tooth to be able to go, well, I know you can do it. So the question is now, can we do it and enjoy ourselves? Yeah. So Daniel didn't, that was, that was just so that, and then, no, And then there, it did, there was dialogue that was open, but yeah. I, you know, I've had this conversation with lots of actors um, and it's a painful, long, tedious process because there's lots of people in the middle, and it's much easier now. If I get ever, if I ever get my hands on an actor, I get their number directly, so yeah. we can just have the conversation directly. Because it wouldn't have worked with Jude, and we've just uh, done another film. We did, did King Arthur with sure. Jude, and it wouldn't have worked with Jude if the middlemen were allowed to have their way. In the end, I just called up for, oh, Jude make it happen and it happened and had had i not had his phone number it just wouldn't have happened right i'm getting distracted sorry where was no, i no it's all good so it's it, daniel um, it, it never oh, so really daniel and that and that process and, yeah. and there was a process and there's toing and throwing toing and throwing and in the end you just oh, fucking balls to this <laughs> and then you end up going with something that will actually you know knows what he's doing jared's jared's or, solid, or jared's solid yeah and he's wonderful and um but you end up going with someone that you know that you can get on the phone yeah. that you can meet in a room and you know, you can get on the piss with. I, I, you know, I'm kind of surprised given, you know, you, and you're one of these filmmakers that I feel like in this day and age, it's rare to have like an association with a studio that's ongoing. It's like you think of Clint Eastwood back in the day, but you've worked a lot with, with Warner Brothers. And I'm kind of surprised that I, I'm sure you've talked to them about comic book movies. I'm sure that you've had those meetings, at least to talk about it since they're so active in that space. Is that something that you've come? I mean, because I remember there were, we've even talked back in the day. I feel like that Sergeant Rock was talked about. Was Lobo even in the mix at one yeah, point? Yeah, it was. I'm quite glad I didn't. Well, I got to say, the, the Sergeant Rock's pretty good, and I I rewrote the script on that, and I've got to say I, I like it. Yeah, and it was pretty good. I don't know what's happened to that. Uh, it sort of fell by the wayside, and someone's got their hands on it. Yeah, but a, well, a lot of these issues are administrative, and who yeah. has the rights, and how much they want, and yada yada yada. I think that's the problem, Sergeant Rock. Um, and finish and fitting into their grand plan too, like you know maybe prioritizing the superheroes over the other stuff. Maybe like, all as I know is if if someone had made it simple for me to make Sergeant Rock, I would have made a very good yeah. version of Sergeant Rock. Yeah. Um, so we'll put a pin in that. Lobo, I'm glad we didn't go near that. Um, Why is that? Well, it's just because I don't think I could have done a good job. Mm-hmm. And at the right time, I was having a ch- uh, the chap who was head of the studio then. Um, Jeff, Jeff, Robinoff. Robinoff, yeah. um, Jeff and I had a conversation and he went, 
you don't really want to do this, dear. And I went, no, I don't. And he went, okay, we'll let this one go. So, and I'm glad that happened because I wouldn't have known how to pull that one off. But I was, you know, in the stage where I was, I'm prepared to try new things. Sure. But I've got to tell you, I think I would have cocked that one up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then since then, I've been distracted with being busy yeah. with other projects. Warner have been great to me. They've been, um, there are, I have no horror stories about Warners. Yeah. You know, they, they are, there to facilitate the filmmaker in my experience and there's been nothing other than a helping hand at any time i gotta tell you they're adults and they run a pretty uh pretty grown-up show there do you do you are you a big consumer of film nowadays i mean do you watch a lot i watch a lot of film so what's what are some films in the last you, night you've been pretty busy lately but a fucker <laughs> uh this is the dreaded question right and so what i'm going to do is i'm going to throw it back onto you and you're going to tell okay. me all of these films well and I, then i'm going to tell you what i think of them speaking of warner mad yeah. max is uh, yeah we love mad genius, max i think is amazing yeah, yeah oh good well i'm glad to hear you say that ivan again who's sitting next to me here ivan and i uh, ivan is a real film buff and uh, he's my encyclopedia of films. So when I always defer to him when uh, I'm not sure about something. So uh, Ivan and I went and watched it. He kindly bought us a couple of 3D tickets and we went to the IMAX. And uh, it, it was the best action movie I'd ever seen. It's amazing. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Without any ambiguity, it was by far the best action no, film. I've seen it five times in theater. I mean, it's, oh, have you? I'm oh, good for you. Yeah. Okay. Because well, I went back for the second bite the, the next week. Oh, it's quite fine. I'm pleased to find someone that's uh, yeah. a fellow enthusiast because the way it's constructed is. It's it's a it's a work of genius. And, you know, we and I, I got to have George in this office too for the podcast, which was an amazing treat. And like to see just sort of like you know he's talked about it as pure cinema. It's like minimal dialogue yet tells a compelling emotional story at times. And and just from the action perspective, it reinvent, it just, I mean, how just, do you how do you reinvent action now? And in his seventies, it's just remarkable to see. Yeah, and it just, um, I I would argue that the two major parts is the commitment to a style. Yeah, which is then. Uh, which has become manifest um, perfectly. Yeah. This is what I want. This is what it will look like. And that vision felt like a director's vision. So 10 out of 10 for that. Yeah. And the execution of the uh, of the action was 10 out of 10 for that. Yeah. So you've got two 10 out of 10s. <laughs> You're off to a yeah, good start. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a big deal. But it's funny how it didn't really uh, get traction with a with a with a popular audience. Yeah, I think it's 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 in that kind of gray zone of whether they could, like it's so silly to talk at these numbers, but it was like made like almost 400 million. Is that enough to like warrant a sequel and that kind of thing? It's in that that weird thing when we get into the silly business side of things. But yeah. um So anyway, there you yeah. go. So that so that was a film that was uh yeah is worth talking about who were we i mean going back when you were a kid like were you like a cinephile were you like someone that like like when do you when did, were you most aware of like filmmakers or, or uh, aware that filmmakers I, were doing their I, thing if you look at the movies that i download they're embarrassing um and i i would hope that no one has a look at the movies that i <laughs> well, sure one or two what do you well, got? i've got them all on my phone there i'm not gonna <laughs> show you um because well, yeah. i tell you why because i I like watching as many things as I can watch and I get tickled by things that not, I mean, I'm re relatively predictable in the films that I like. Okay. Uh, most of the films that I like are animated. So um, I'm a big Pixar fan um, and I'm a big kids uh, fan. So, you know, a combination of Pixar and kids, you know, yeah. Incredibles, I think it's one of the best films ever made. Um so I can bang on about them for a while. Yeah. The, just the sheer geniusness. And I'm rather embarrassed to say I was a big fan of Frozen too. 
um, partly because I've watched it a thousand times because all my kids watch it a thousand times. I've got a two and a half year old girl who, you know, that's all she wants to watch is Frozen. I'm sure. So I know all the songs. Yeah. If you want to close out the podcast with your rendition, (laughs) let it go. I won't stop you. (laughs) It's not a pretty sound. By the way, I have sung it a lot. So, um, so no, it's funny. It's a broad, it's broad. And then of course I like relatively esoteric cinema. Um, I like foreign cinema. Um, so I'll like lots of stuff that you'd predict that I'd sure. like. And then simultaneously, I mean, the films that I really liked when I was growing up were like, uh, I was, I leaned towards the more popular action stuff, like Where Eagles Dare, mm-hmm. um, that kind of stuff that, uh, the guns and our own sure. that were kind of accessible and glamorous and broad. Enter Sergeant Rock. I can see the, the linkage. Yeah. Was, yeah. Um, so, you know, I like, I like that kind of cinema, but then, you know, like, I love The Prophet. Did you like The Prophet? Oh, I haven't seen it. I know everyone loved it. Yeah, oh, I haven't God, seen it. Yeah. I mean, sensational. Yeah. I've seen that five times. Okay. And, I've uh, been busy watching Mad Max every day. All right. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I love Tarantino stuff. Yeah. Um, I love a strong director. Um, I still think that filmmaking is a director's medium. And the more director-driven it is, the more I enjoy it. Yeah. The more I could uh, smell and feel a director behind a camera, the more... The more uh, I feel I can relax. Yeah. Like Guardians of the Galaxy out of all those, you know, big yeah, you sort feel, of things. You feel a unique creative vision behind it, which is hard. Yeah, I just felt a voice. I felt yeah. a confident voice. I've, you know, certain people are born to do certain jobs. Yeah. And I can, I feel palpable. Uh, I feel a palpable sensation when I know a filmmaker was born to be a filmmaker. Yeah. You know, and there are conspicuous, com, you know, characters within that. Tarantino is sure. one of those characters. We just know that that's what they were born to do. Hans Zimmer was born to be mm-hmm. a composer. And it, it it's so conspicuous. Yeah. Well, it's conspicuous to me. And there's all sorts of other filmmakers that I feel that about. Um, and I, I get quite excited when I feel that. Yeah. Well, I, I would honestly extend that back to you. I think anybody that's seen your films, and it's not it doesn't get in the way of the filmmaking of the fun and the story, but they can see that your stamp on it, and you and you uh, you really brought a, a great fu- a sense of fun, a sense of style, a sense of coolness to this film. And I, I congratulate you on it, man. From Michael's a good piece of work, man. And thanks for stopping by today, man. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. We did it. Any last <laughs> expletives you want to throw out there? <laughs> No, but I tell you what, I do appreciate that last thirty uh, seconds. Was the was was the other forty minutes? (laughs) (laughs) Was the other forty minutes as enjoyable, or just Uh, you you were in it for the last thirty? No, a conversation. I like a conversation. Um, And like I said, I thought I was going to have to come into a studio where everyone had their baseball caps turned backwards, and I was going to have to get down. Yeah, we're going to do that next. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You you weren't told. (laughs) Uh, It's good to see you, man. Thank you again. Thank you very much. Wow, pop the jams, pop it up. Like a disjoint. What? This feels really weird without the song. Tough. Can you at least beatbox? We can't afford it. Can you beatbox, bitch? No, you can't. I can't start the tape over. Bitch, can you beatbox? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I didn't say do like the mating call of a mountain gorilla, Jane Goodall. No, that's nailed it. <laughs> All right, hey. I'm Marissa Wampler, and my show is called <clears throat> Womp It Up. We're coming at you from the Marina Del Rey Public High School Library, where I'm a student 
And every episode, me and my teacher and quasi-legal guardian... It's legal in Central and parts of South America. Whatever. We interview the most fascinating teachers, students, and janitors at my school until I overwhelm them with my movie star charm and my incandescent sexuality. Can we play a clip? Yeah, here it is. You're not guilty in the eyes of the law. All right, all right. Like O.J. Simpson. I don't want to be like O.J. Simpson. That doesn't make me feel good. Why not? He's a terrific ball player. Terrific ball player. And a good actor, too. No, listen. Not bad. You're the only people, guys, you're the only people who are going to argue in his defense. I'm not arguing anything. We're just saying that a court of law. Court of law found him innocent of murder. So get to Earwolf.com for your favorite. Earwolf. What I say. Earwolf. Like Alf, your favorite show. God, I love that show. Earwolf.com or your favorite podcast app right now and womp up those jams. Pop. 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 Pop.